So Lisa, a couple of years ago, I fell in love with a new product, a new Black-owned product. Uh, they are really great products created by Honeypot. And I know that sounds kind of risque, but I guess it is a little risque. Um, but Honeypot is a line of feminine care products that were created by a Black-owned, uh, a Black entrepreneur. And what I thought was so interesting was that, you know, for those of us who constantly have challenges, you know, maybe you have uh, urinary tract uh, infections or things like that, this product was meant for people like us. It's a whole line of feminine care products created by B. Dixon. And what I thought was interesting was that it came off the shelves for a little while when I went to look for them in Target. And so I even went online to order my products and all of that. I mean, I was truly a big fan. Well, recently I saw one of my tri teammates in Fast Chicks. She posted a picture of the ingredients that used to be on the back of the products and now a longer list of ingredients. And it was like record scratch, Lisa. It was like, wait a minute, what's going on? I bought this because it was supposed to be better for my body. Are there ingredients that have been added now that are no longer safe for me and my body? And so apparently I wasn't the only one that heard the record scratch. Uh, there was an entire Twitter following an uproar around Honeypot. And so I thought it would be really cool for us to talk about this because it sounds like trust has been severely broken and I'm not sure if they can ever earn it back. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great topic because there are so many brands in endurance sport and we know that it's been a bit of a bumpy ride over the last several years. And as we ramp up into race season now and things are kind of quote unquote, getting back to normal, whatever normal is, right? Um, mm -hmm. There is likely some trust that is going to need to be repaired, I think, as we move forward. All right, well, let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Uh, when it's legal, then it will be accepted that this particular point is not legal for a woman to box. Well, I would just love to see the girls get into sports. Maybe that'll straighten out some of the situation that they have, because women think that they can really be do the things that men can do. I don't really think so. Fifty years ago, women and girls had few opportunities to participate, let alone excel, in sports. Women's programs were underfunded, and worse, some considered it improper and unfeminine to participate. Uh, my personal feelings are that a woman is supposed to be feminine. Uh, I do know if I'm on the subway and a woman comes on the subway, I'll get up. If there's no other seats, I'll give her my seat. But if the woman is a boxer, I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to hold the door. In 1972, the U.S. government passed a law prohibiting sex-based discrimination in government-funded education programs, including high school and college sports. The, the type of woman who tends to excel in sports um, naturally tends to be a, a, a more highly motivated um, uh, type of individual 
than, than men because they haven't come up through a pampered athletic system. It hasn't been easy. It has not been easy. In a new series by Feisty Media, we explore the stories behind the law that changed everything. This special series will be presented on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Subscribe now to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. This is nine. 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 Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items on orca.com, use the code livefeisty15. So Lisa, I will say that Honeypot has been a lifesaver for me. Um, after having both of my sons, I had both of them by C-section, and then I had subsequent um, a subsequent surgery to handle some endometriosis issues and all kinds of things. So obviously, I can't just necessarily run into any store and pick up feminine care products. And so once I heard about this line, Honeypot, and I started using them, I just really fell in love with the product. I really thought they were great. I felt better. I didn't have some of the issues I had previously. And so I just really remain faithful to the product. And so after my friend sent me the picture of the ingredients, I'm like, hold up, wait a minute now. Let, let's, I, I'm not a chemist by any stretch of the imagination, but what's going on? And lo and behold, there was a huge uproar around the changes. And so now there's been a number of things that have happened. Tons of articles about Honeypot, um, the owner and founder doing some interviews to explain what really happened. And there's some folks that have decided they're just going to walk away from the product. And I think that's a shame. Um, and so now, you know, I think it's really important for us to think through, you know, what are we going to do here? How are we going to respond? Um, how should they have responded as a company? I think there's some lessons that we can pull away from this whole experience. So because of this change in ingredients and a lack of transparency around it, Honeypot has lost customers. That's what you're saying? Well, interestingly enough, there's been an ebb and flow in okay. those that actually bought in. So for example, let me take a couple of steps back in the story. These are things that I didn't know about until I listened to her interview, um, is that first off, as a black owned company, here we go. Here we go, Lisa. White women making it about them once again. Oh. There was, I know, I know. There was a whole bunch of anxiety and messaging and angry comments about the product because here we go. There's a problem with saying that this product is made for Black women and girls. I don't know why that's a problem, but okay. I mean, are we back there again? You know, Oh, I just thought it was frustrating. And so what, oh what really made it funny was that it backfired, Lisa, that okay. when all the, the white 
folks or individuals uh, promoting this white perspective, <laughs> they thought they were going to tear down the product. Well, sales increased by 50% after that, right? So it was almost like bad publicity is good publicity. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happened there. So then fast forward, Honeypot added some ingredients into the product that actually don't change how the product is experienced, but it creates longer shelf life for those ingredients. Well, for folks that didn't understand that, and for the throngs of us who are not chemists, we wouldn't have gotten that without an explanation. And so it almost ended up being putting the cart before the horse. There was an uproar about the ingredients, not realizing that the ingredients were actually good for us. The additional ingredients were good for us. And so now you're having to look, we going back to learn, unlearn and relearn again, Lisa, on the damn right. uh, ingredients on the product um, because it wasn't explained from the outset, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -oh. So that leaves us where we are now, where you know, according to FCC standards, there are certain things that are not appropriate for safety standards. And so, you know, obviously we wouldn't use those products. Well, the owner said, exactly. So we didn't include those products, but we had to include others in order for, especially with shipping issues, gas prices going sky high, it's taking longer for the product to get on the shelf. And so in order to accommodate for that, we needed to add a few of these ingredients into the recipe to make sure they get to our consumers. All right, that's a legit explanation to me, but the fact that we had to kind of stumble into the truth rather than the truth preceding the product, I think that's mm. a, a, a sad, unfortunate way to lose trust that you now have to work double time to gain back. Yeah, so they were thinking they could just make this change and weren't necessarily contemplating that people are going to notice and people are going to have questions about it. And the result could be that you, your reputation is damaged. Right. So then they were kind of trying to put the fire out when the fire didn't need to be started in the first place. It sounds like. Exactly. And I'm like, look, black and brown women, we are like CSI. Okay. We are going to notice if there is anything that changes about our product. We read those labels. We, we, bought those products intentionally because the label was short, because there weren't a lot of ingredients. And so to assume that we're not going to notice that, nah, we, we noticed it. So mm. Esther Olu was, uh, was on Twitter kind of helping to debunk some of the rumors around it. She's a, a Black woman, also a beauty chemist that talked about this, but also normalized the fact that very few beauty brands provide the transparency that we're calling for. And so how is it that this black owned company now has an unfair standard of transparency? Well, now I'm like, here we go, Lisa, we're back to just blow everything up and start over. Everyone should have transparency. Oh, it's not a clear cut story here. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, right? Who gets away with um, um, mm -hmm. manipulation or a lack of transparency and communication and who doesn't, mm -hmm. like what standards are organizations being held to and how is that connected back to race right. and gender. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I think this is really interesting in terms of organizations that think it doesn't matter to engage their um, audiences, their customer base versus organizations that just don't think about it because maybe they're inexperienced. And so mm. 
there's yeah. not probably a, a nuanced enough conversation about that. So Honeypot is not Walmart, right? Like they're much smaller. They haven't been around as long. So yes. should we really be judging their misstep, their communicative misstep in terms of that mm. loss of trust in the same way we might a much larger company, you know, mm. um, that has way more capacity, way more knowledge built up over time and, I think about that in terms of some of these smaller organizations in endurance sport, like small local races, small coaching clubs, like what standards should we as consumers be holding them to if they misstep and lose our trust, right? And mm. so from the side, what does that look like? Is it different based on a Ironman or a lifetime versus mm. local boulder-based racing mm. company, right? Right, right, right. right from a organization or standpoint like what should they do if they missed it and does that yeah. look different for a small local company versus a massive Ironman or lifetime mm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that oh see Lisa look you're tying in two of our former podcasts together in one you're tying in um way back episode 19 um anatomy of the apology and also our local episode as well, <laughs> where, you know, the, the big company versus the small one. And, and what does that mean as far as nuanced differences and so forth? I, I do think that one commonality for both would definitely be going back to episode 19, Anatomy of the Apology, you know, and again, being very clear on what you're apologizing for and about. So, for example, with this piece with Honeypot, there is complete legitimacy to the new ingredients in the in the product. So they would be more so apologizing for the lack of communication around the change, right, not right. the change itself. And so being very clear, what are you apologizing for? So I think that's really a good first step that would work for small or large organization, the apology piece, because that's taking ownership of what's happened, even if it was unintentional. Um, but then, too, I think another thing that needs to happen in regards to trust is thinking through, did you have strong trust that you're trying to gain back or did you never have trust with this organization and you're having to build from the ground up? It's it's kind of like the difference between um, are you remodeling a house or are you building a house? Building a house is you never had trust to begin with. In fact, you have always had animosity. Well, remodeling a house is you had it, but something happened and now you got to repair. So what does that look like? So I think, you know, going back to that inward um, organizational self-assessment, you know, assess yourself to find out, are we trusted? You may assume you're trusted and you're really right. not. And you don't right. know because you're out of touch with those populations or groups yeah. or subcultures, you know? I think that's a really great point that you just made there around organizations that are predominantly white or male run and led and owned may not even realize that they don't have trust of a particular community because they're not even thinking about it, right? They're like, this, right. Is, this, this particular endurance sport product or race is apolitical. It is, you know, not about race, not about gender. Everything is equal. Why would a community not trust right. us? We're a race, right? And I think that right. that is... Um, if you're not able to understand why you're 
participants continue to look a certain way, um, then you might want to think about, is it because it's not just that participants who are not white and not male don't know that your event exists, maybe they don't trust it, right, in terms of the experience that they're going to have. So that's mm-hmm. a really important thing, I think, the yeah. to think about from yeah. a small organization perspective, because I bet a lot of endurance sport events, products, brands, whatever, haven't even really considered that it's a trust issue that was never there, just not there, right? Yeah, yeah they, well, it, it, part of it is probably the assumption that it, that the trust was already there to begin with. Like we, we can't take for granted that we're to be trusted. There, there are some communities that may start out with trust and then you lose it. There may be other communities, rightfully so, that you have to earn the trust from scratch and knowing the difference between those communities. And so given that, you know, how are you going to engage with those communities and communicate with them regularly? It it depends on whether you're building trust or there's already assumption that you're simply trying to keep it. But either way, it does require major effort without the assumption that anyone is giving you trust or that you are owed trust. Yeah. Um, and, and something that you you mentioned just a minute ago that made me think was around um, with the trust piece, again, in intention and impact, even though you may do everything in your power to be trustworthy, that doesn't mean that you are owed trust or that you have trust. And so given that, you know, never take for granted that you have it, just continue to earn it constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah, so it's an active process, right? Like, if you miss, so allyship, like we talked about last week, is an active process. Building and gaining and maintaining trust is an active process. You don't, like, just Mm. reach across a finish line that, you know, and now your trust is there and it's permanent, right? That's right. That's right. Always fragile and you should always treat it as such. Um, Right. And then I do think from a consumer standpoint, we perhaps we should be holding organizations, events, brands to a certain standard, absolutely, um, and let them know when they have lost our trust. But I do think that that looks different when we think about local versus global, right? Like I think there might be a little bit more grace that should be afforded those smaller companies. And I think um, B. Dixon actually said that in an interview related to this that she would hope that her um customers would extend some grace to her um, mm-hmm. and she's working to understand their perspectives that they work to understand hers too in terms of that choice around the ingredients for the for the honey mm-hmm. 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 well and you know <laughs> here we go with the difference in accountability you know the the outrage has been, I, I want to put ridiculous on it. I feel it's been ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some frustration or concern or even confusion, but when somebody receives death threats, death threats, ridiculous. Lisa. Ridiculous. It's not necessary. I mean, my my friend who I just adore that's in, in my um, tri-club, she said, what's the necessity of 
a death threat. All you have to do is to stop buying the damn product if you feel that strongly about it. Like, why does it have to resort to that? Which then brings me into question about the value of Black women, period. Right. Black women, right. Black businesses, Black bodies. I'm like, do we just willy-nilly throw death threats around over a damn tampon? Is this what we're doing? Th- that, to me, mm. is incredible, even in my own frustration about the product. I'm like, right. Right. that's not necessary. But it calls into question the value of, of people of color, once again. I mean, on, 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 and on, and on constantly what was that thing that nike did that then precipitated a bunch of white people to burn their nike shoes and say that they weren't going to buy the nike shoes do you remember that it happened a couple of years ago i think and i feel like it was was to do with george floyd black lives matter maybe they Uh they made a stand and so um they are losing they they lost the trust of a particular subset of white customers but I imagine they didn't care, right? Like, Well, now remember, hold up though. Remember that people were burning Nike shoes because of Colin Kaepernick. Remember his whole campaign? Oh, okay, and, okay, okay. Yeah, and it was like, a, it was their anniversary campaign or something. And Kaepernick was the face of the campaign itself. And that's when people started burning shoes. I'm All like, right. if y'all don't get out of here with that bullshit, that, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But that that's what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. So that's like a different, that's a slightly different thing, right? Because Nike, yeah, massive corporation, you could absolutely question their uh, motives here. And they mm-hmm. made a choice, presumably, that in having Colin Kaepernick as part of this campaign, they were likely going to lose some customers. But the benefit versus the risk whether that's about cost profit social justice you know I don't know I wasn't in the inner discussions of their marketing and you know (laughs) right but um right there there's a loss of trust but Nike's just essentially saying okay right we're not our our response or our explanation as to why we did this Mm -hmm. really include an apology because it was an intentional statement of where we stand on these particular issues. And if that means you choose to burn the shoes you've already paid us for, then go right ahead, right? right. Um, that's a slightly different, right, 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 different right. slant on losing trust when it's, an in- mm-hmm. when it's an intentional. I mean, they had to know, right? When they put, they put Colin, Colin, we're on first name terms, mm-hmm. totally, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when he was on right, the campaign, right. he had to know that there was going to be some kind of backlash there from a particular group of people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I, exactly. They, I think they knew and were thoughtful about that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, th- that begs the question of, you know, are you a company that is willing to stand for something knowing that it will cause distrust on other things. So like, for example, with the whole Nike burning situation, people ain't burning shoes because they don't trust the product. They're burning shoes because they don't agree with the values of Nike right, saying right, right. Colin Kaepernick. Just, and so, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, let's loop back to the whole trust building trust loss thing. 
Are we intentionally losing trust because we're willing to stand for something? Are we losing trust unintentionally because we're so uh, willy-nilly on things that we don't want to stand for anything? Or are we losing trust because we inadvertently made a change or a miscommunication that is a true mistake? Because like Nike yeah. losing trust, that wasn't a mistake. They, you're no, right. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. And so that that's so mind-blowing that now, okay, so we have to think about all the different reasons why a company loses trust, some intentional, some unintentional. And if you're going to fix it, how it's going to be fixed. Because if I'm that Nike exec that is witnessing all the loss in trust based on the Colin Kaepernick campaign, I'm like, F you and the horse that you rode in on, because I don't want your trust because your values don't align with me, whether you buy these shoes or not. Right. And so there are going to be some people that are like, I, I don't want to gain your trust back because it's not in the things that I value or we as an organization value. And that's okay. You all are a non-issue now. We have other issues to deal with. Yeah, that actually makes me think about some of the stuff I've been reading about related to companies and brands gaining trust back is that you need to make sure that your um, communication and your actions aligns with your values, your core values, your stated core values, right? Because so I think that's another layer of loss of trust is when mm. an organization brand event does something that is misaligned with their stated commitment in particular to diversity, equity, and inclusion or social change or, you know, social responsibility, climate change, whatever it may be. And then they articulate something, they do mm -hmm. something, they have a dumbass advertising campaign, right? <laughs> that is directly in conflict. And you're like, how did that even make it through the 19 different layers of approval to even get out into the universe to begin with? That's one thing. Right. One of the repetitive, um, you know, pieces of advice out there is if you're a company what's going to keep you out of hot water in terms of that trust issue related to your customers is that you are always consistent between your stated values and your stated actions. So if, for example, mm. you are a small local race or a local endurance sport brand of some kind, whether that's clothing or a different kind of product, and you are articulating that you believe in inclusivity, right? So that's on your products, that's on your website. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, all your employees are white or you put out on your social media some image or statement that is in contradiction to that to varying mm -hmm. degrees of severity, right? It doesn't have to be blatant for it to be a problem. That's then right. that's that right. is gonna cause more trouble for you in terms of that trust piece, because people mm -hmm. are going to be extraordinarily quick to pick up that um, lack of alignment, I think. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. They're going to pick it up quick. I mean, you know, people, people sniff out performative everything. <laughs> they, they sniff out the fakeness. They sniff out, even if you're you know, even if you're sincere about saying we don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole, at least they know where you stand. And the when the ambiguity is there, that's when people are like, nope, I have to distance myself from this because I don't even know where you're going here with this. 
So yeah, Yeah. well, I think here the, maybe the takeaways, Lisa, are constantly be be on your grind to not lose the trust in the first place. How about that? That, That's the first thing. Um, And then maybe the second thing, you know, learning to apologize and also, you know, as you're receiving the critique, don't act like the critics don't matter. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they, they're part of the reason why they're critiquing oftentimes is because they're, they've used their product, your product, and they've invested in your business and organization. And so they know it well enough to critique it. And so a lot of the best critique comes from critics who are your customers, followers, et cetera, because they know you so well. You know, it's, it's something not to take the critique of people that don't know your business or organization well. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, Lisa, you know, as it comes to this, I mean, I think this is true, even with human beings, just in general, just because you apologize, that doesn't force the hand of your former or current followers to accept it. You know, they might need some space. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a time thing, isn't it? And you have to keep your foot Uh, on the gas, I think. I mean, not mm -hmm. like, you know, ramming it down people's throats, but but mm-hmm. your name where your mouth is, right? So Pepsi right. Um, released that commercial some time ago, a couple of years ago with uh, one of the, uh, oh, darn, I'm forgetting mm-hmm. the person's name, a Jenna, <laughs> one of the Jenna. Mm-hmm. And um, it was where she was, you know, standing right in front of a, a line of police and, you know, in riot gear. And then she like snaps open a Pepsi and it was critiqued as trivializing the Black Lives Matter movement, understandably, because that's what it did. So they listened to the detractors, they pulled it down, but they were pretty slow to act beyond that. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like last year, um, they, the commercial, they hadn't really been able to shake the impact of that commercial on their brand in terms of customers' Hmm. distaste for it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and so they actually donated, or not donated, they pledged four hundred million dollars towards programs in the community that are working to address racial inequity um, for Black folks in particular. So mm-hmm. you know that was a little bit of a disjointed response. It wasn't enough to just pull the ad, right? They needed to do more. So there's right. time. There was a con- There was a need for them to continually address their misstep and Mm. demonstrate um, through action that they were doing something to change it so I don't think the apology is always going to be enough and I would say also tell the truth you know like don't try and weave some convoluted web of excuses and reasons and blame of someone else right own it um and so you'll do better next time right like I think that that's right, going to be right if you lie or twist the truth oh my god we're going to get mm-hmm. you are going to get taken down mm-hmm. yeah. exactly oh yeah absolutely the this the spinning is real when it's but again that's based on ego and what we're trying to encourage people to do is lose the ego piece because usually the spinning and the twisting and the turning is because you're trying to save face rather than just simply saying yeah look y'all we completely dropped the ball on this thing and now we know better we're going to do better moving forward isn't that much easier than trying to save face and people are going to turn around and leave it anyway mad angry confused frustrated just tell the damn truth please Mm -hmm. just just tell the truth tell the truth yeah 
Okay, so with that, I think this is actually a good segue into our hell yeah, hell no nah session. We have a couple of good ones today. So let's do that. Hell yeah. Hell no. Nah. Okay, y'all, let's let's start with the hell no. Nah. Because the hell no, nah, I don't even know if I can get through the, the story without just giggling. I mean, just the, the best article that I saw, the, the best title around this was... <laughs> They've hit the bottom with this one (laughs) where Burger King debuted this pride Whopper. Now, it wasn't just rainbows, y'all. It was, we're literally going to connect either two top halves of the bun together or two bottom halves of the bun. And I'm like, say what? Now, I'm not part of the LGBT communities, but I've studied it for a long time, and I know better. I I know to consult with those within the LGBT communities to see what they say. And as I'm consulting with folks, I'm looking at people's uh, social media and so forth, and they are all like, what in the hell is going on here? And so, yeah, I just don't know what they were thinking. What were they thinking? Yeah. Again, like who approved this? How many layers of approval did this go through? Like Burger King, you have had the slogan, have it your way for like ever. Oh Oh my God. So yeah, I'm like, mm. so yeah, this one, I I think we may want to lump this in the category of last year's all white Skittles with no rainbow because it's kind of like, you know, it's one of those things where me and my oldest son Trey we have a we have a thing about jokes and puns that it's so bad that it's good like I feel like this ad is so bad that some people are going to see it as good because few people are going to forget it and so I'm like mm-hmm. I, I just don't feel as if they consulted with the LGBT communities on this right, and right. once again you know I feel like a broken record saying that and you know the jury is mixed in regards to the response but the majority of folks that I know in the LGBT communities are like what in the hell is going on here so I'm not even going to say a hell maybe I'm going to say a definite hell no because if we're this confused looking at it then I'm not sure it's a good thing yeah I mean like what does that do it does absolutely nothing for the material reality of members of the LGBTQIA plus uh, community in terms of their experiences of discrimination and violence right absolutely nothing and um it's just stupid yeah it's just stupid so anyway i i second you oh. um okay but to end so we're going to end on an, a real positive in terms of trust this is um an important one right so on june 4th uh their the lifetime uh company held their unbound gravel race which you know mm-hmm. i know sean and i know very little about <laughs> but um they right. actually have a non-binary category and the number of, of races lifetime races and others are slowly introducing non-binary non-binary gender non-binary race categories and so in 2021, this unbound race had one racer who identified as non-binary, and this year in 2022, there were 17. So that tells you how important it is to have these categories that recognize the wholeness of folks, no matter their gender ident- identity. And 
the fantastic Rach McBride won the non-binary category. So it's a 200 mile uh, gravel race and they were ecstatic and they were ecstatic, not least for the win, but also because of what it meant to stand on a podium with a number of other races who also identified as gender non-binary to be in community at a sporting event that has historically, like every other sporting event, excluded individuals who do not fit neatly into the gender binary of women and men. And so this is a massive hell yeah, um, shout out to Lifetime and the work that they're doing. And just think about the trust that they're building. They have been working for a few years now, a number of people in the organization advocating and they're making this a reality. And so they may not have realized years ago that they didn't have the trust of members of the LGBTIQA plus community, at least some of those members. And um, they have realized they didn't and that there's a structural problem there in regards to categories that people can race in and they have worked to fix it. So they fixed it, which is the right thing to do and they are building trust at the same time. So I think that's pretty cool. Raise your hand if you believe we need more women at our triathlons. The team at Lifetime is right there with you. Their main focus, the iconic Verizon New York City Triathlon coming up on July 24th. And Lisa, I did this race in 2016. And I have to say, it was like being shot out of a cannon with a thousand of your closest friends at the start of the swim. But I hear, unlike 2016, this year, they added a duathlon distance and implemented a rookie refund program, all to get more racers like you of every age, skill level, and background to race the greatest city in the world. So let's ride a better future for endurance sports together. Visit nyctry.com today and reserve your spot. That's nyctri.com today. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and use the code feisty for 20% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at try to defy 
at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.